635, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We start off this program like we start off every program, a segment I call Three Big Things, Three Things I Think You Need to need to know to talk about to discuss at the coffee closet or the water cooler at the lunch table or with your friends at work or at home or at the gym big thing number one well it is the common experience it is the weather i have lived around here for most of my life so i've seen the monster rains that we've had been through the occasional blizzard the nasty ice storm i will tell you that as a general rule the type of weather I hate the most is heavy wind. Now, part of that is because I live in an area where there are mature trees with big old um, branches that come down from time to time. A number of years ago, I was awakened in the middle of the night in a heavy rainstorm with the police knocking at the door saying, did you know that your giant oak tree that goes back to 1860 is now down in your front yard across <laughs> across the road? And, and thankfully, when the tree came down, it didn't land on anybody's houses. It didn't land on anybody's cars. It just kind of landed. But, um, yes, I used to have three big oak trees in my yard. Now I'm down to one. But lots of neighbors have oak trees, and so you're always wondering about that. The stories of the wind were incredible. All day yesterday, we were dealing with the whole issue of, of semis that were overturning in the wind. We were dealing with massive power outages. The estimates are that, you know, at, at some point in time, you had probably over 40,000 people in our area who lost power. My close friend I, I lost power for most of the day well into the evening, in part because I think in his case, it was sort of a localized power outage. Tree goes down in the backyard of a neighbor's house, takes out the power lines that service that block. And so obviously we energies, you work on the big power outages and then you kind of get down to the narrow ones. So it wasn't until late last night that he ended up getting power back. Another friend of mine who runs a restaurant, they, they ended up being closed because hey, it's all down, it, the, the power's down, You know, it's four o'clock, you're getting ready to open up and there is no power and the electric company, I understand, I mean, it's a big project, can't tell you how long it's going to be out so you, you don't have any sort of choice so huge story yesterday big thing number one I, I thought we'd take some tales from the front i was lucky i was lucky with the exception of one or two blips you know where the power goes out for just a second and immediately comes back on um, at, at my place we did not lose power i had to come back to the station yesterday afternoon around four o'clock for something and i was uh, as i was driving through my community i saw that there were huge power outages during uh, again there were huge power outages in the area it just didn't happen to affect me so 414 799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line all right, how did the weather treat you yesterday? Do you remember windstorms like that? How bad was the wind where you were? And did you suffer or sustain any major sort of damage? Did you survive Windapalooza from March of 2017? What went on in your neighborhood? Did you lose power? How long was it out? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I um, this is one of those situations where if you... You, you got to just appreciate what, how tough a job it is for the power companies, for We Energies or whoever. Um, you've got massive power outages. It's probably getting worse on a regular basis as you get the different branches that are coming down. And then you have to go out and try to deal with it, figure out, okay, what is going on here? It had to been a nightmare all over. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big thing number one. 
the wind. How bad was it where you were yesterday? Do you remember anything like this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 840 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eight forty-three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ Cactus League action continues for the Brewers today. They take on the San Diego Padres in Arizona. Our Brewers game day coverage starts at two o'clock this afternoon. Sponsored by your local Chevy dealers. All right. The big story number one is the big story yesterday. Still a little bit to the extent this morning. Huge wind, gusts up to sixty miles an hour continuously. Um, lots of power outages. We're talking tales from the front. Zach in Wauwatosa. Zach, good morning. You're at six twenty. WTMJ. Zach. Good. Hi, Zach. Good. Hey, uh, yeah, I just wanted to comment. So, yeah, the win yesterday pretty much uh, blew you off balance. <laughs> and the first time I've ever seen woke up this morning and let the dogs out, we had siding blown clean off the house, you know, laying everywhere. Didn't even notice it, but never seen winds like that before. Siding was blown off your house. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no kidding. It was, yeah, blown off and, you know, gutters everywhere and just uh, didn't oh, man. expect that. But, yeah. Well, no, you knew, you knew it was blowing hard. I, I will tell you, I'm glad... In my neighborhood, garbage day is Friday. I'm just glad sure. it wasn't garbage day because if it was, Lord no, I, my 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 trash cans would have probably been in Lake Michigan. <laughs> would be kind of be my <laughs> sense, you know. Hey, thanks for the call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to George and Delavan. George, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Yes, we lost the power out where I live at eight o'clock in the morning. Came back on at noon. Right. Then we lost it again at seven o'clock, and it went off. Came back on at nine thirty. Yeah. And you and know, those, and you know, a couple tree branches down out here up my tree house. So I have to go out and take care of. Yeah, that's well. That's I mean, do do you live in the area where you live? Do you have a lot of like big older trees and things like that? I've got a huge old tree yeah. behind my house. It's yeah. got to be at least one hundred and fifty years old. Yeah, that's that that's always with those, those heavy winds. That is what always scares me. Is that. You know, one of these big old oak trees or whatever, it's just going to kind of give way or a branch is going to give way. And the next thing you know, you're going to be really facing a home improvement nightmare. Well, good luck. Thank, thanks for call. Like I say, I, I lost – it wasn't just the wind. But it was a number of years ago. Big oak tree. It was, it was always like listing a little bit, but it had rained for several days, so the ground was saturated. And then we had those 40 and 50-mile-an-hour winds, and it just – Boom, the, the tree just went over, middle of the night, cops banging on the door. Excuse me, do you know your oak tree is down? Well, no, I, I didn't. But um, yeah, it went. I will tell you, of the different weather events, I mean, and I, again, obviously, you know, you have blizzards or, like I say, you have the, the 2010 torrential rainstorms. But of, of the, the typical extreme weather events, wind is the one that I, I like the least. William in Eagle. William, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, yes, we had uh, a branch. It wasn't a really huge branch. A break off a tree, and unfortunately, fell on the roof of my Honda CRV. Oh. Put a, a dent <laughs> in it, and it, it's not a huge dent. You know, maybe the size of an egg, but it's one of those things. You turn it into the insurance because realistically, with a five hundred dollar deductible, you know, you kind of a kind of in a in between getting it fixed or right, right. getting it yourself or whatever. But you we were talking about other wind events. I think it was nineteen ninety seven. Uh, we had sustained winds of around, not sustained, but we had gusts of 70 miles an hour, which was the h- highest wind I'd ever been outside in. And that was also in the spring where the ground was saturated, and we lost two huge pine trees that just got uprooted yeah. uh, from, the, from the wind. So I remember that was a really severe wind situation back then. It, it, again, and it's just, I mean, thank, I mean the, the wind is, 
uh, these severe situations, you know, obviously the severe thunderstorms and stuff, and I'm exempting tornadoes and and that that type of stuff, but just on a regular basis, those sustained winds. And I just, you know, you, I just like I say, I'm glad it wasn't garbage day in the neighborhood because I think we would have been spending a ton of time trying to figure out exactly, you know, whose garbage cans are this? Dan in Oconomowoc. Dan, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, I was driving around yesterday. It was in, uh, in Franklin on Highway 45 past the landfills, and it was snowing plastic bags. I mean, they were <laughs> rolling across the road, and they were all, they had those high fences that try to catch them. The fences were just plastered with plastic bags. Yeah. The whole thing is absolutely amazing when it comes to these things. And you go, wow, look, look at all this destruction that's out. I mean, thanks. I mean, I mean, thankfully, look, most as near as I can tell, most of the stuff that happened yesterday just falls in the category of of annoyance. Yes, it's it's annoying to have your your power out. Yes, it's annoying that you have a semi that turns over on I forty three or I ninety four or whatever, and you know traffic is backed up. But at least, I mean, I think to the extent that there's a good news, good news, you're not hearing reports of people who've you know lost lives or anything like that in connection with this. So we we, we got through it. Sounds like the weather's going to get a little bit crummy for a couple of days, but this is March and spring is coming. All right. Coming up next, big thing number two, who says crime doesn't pay? Stick around. It's 8.52, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. What are the Wisconsin politicians saying about the new health care proposal? John McCure goes through some local reaction on Wisconsin's afternoon news after Brewers baseball. Be sure and tune in to that. All right. Who says crime doesn't pay? Story reported in the journal Sentinel. As a matter of fact, I four or five years ago when this first happened, we, we, we discussed it. Um, one of the lessons, if you want to be a criminal, I have decided, and this comes from years of observation, working as a prosecutor back in the day and then commenting on criminal justice things. If you want to be a criminal, my advice is steal big and use a pen, not, not a water pistol. For example... If you have somebody that walks into a convenience store with a water pistol, sticks it in somebody's face, and takes some money out of the register, that person is probably going to prison. On the other hand, if you have somebody who is, say, a lawyer who, using a pen, steals hundreds of thousands of dollars, what is going to happen is, generally speaking, if you get into the court system, you will be treated with kid gloves, which is the story of a guy named Jeffrey Elverman who is uh, formerly an attorney. Um, he's, he's now 57 years old. Um, he worked at, for a while, a large law, actually Quarles & Brady, which is the second biggest law firm in the state of Wisconsin. And he, he worked there um, up until 2004. He started like, uh, he, he worked there in up to 2004. What happened is he... He got as as a client. He got this elderly woman. Her name was Dorothy Finney, and um, she apparently suffered from dementia, so she was very very vulnerable. And she she wanted him to handle her finances. 
So, yeah, he, he handled the finances. Apparently, what he ended up deal, doing is stealing somewhere in the neighborhood of, well, $400,000 um, from, from her. Somewhere between three dollars and $400,000 from her. And because she didn't have a family, there were it just didn't come out. So they didn't really discover this theft for a number of years. So, okay, here you have somebody who has stolen in excess of $300,000 from this woman. Before sentencing, he paid $75,000 back. So he ends up getting, getting convicted. He is looking at being sentenced. The judge... A Milwaukee County Circuit Judge named Jeffrey Conan um, decides, okay, here, I- I'm going to impose a sentence. Now, typically, you would think that if you have somebody that steals hundreds of thousands of dollars systematically over a period of years, the system itself would say you have to be held accountable. And you'd think this person would be going, who did this would be going to prison for a long period of time. But that's not the way it works when it comes to white-collar criminals. So what, what the judge does is instead of sending this guy to prison for a lengthy period of time what he does is he suspends the sentence and he puts the guy on probation with the idea that well if he's on probation he will be able to pay restitution he'll be able to pay back the money and if you send him to prison he's not going to be in a position to pay back the money and and this this is the alternative this is better you know we'll we'll watch him we'll make sure he doesn't do it again and and we'll make the victim whole well all right he was sentenced in march of 2012 suspended 5 year prison term um specific monthly payments intended to repay the $325,000 as quickly as feasible from wages that he was earning at a chicago tax firm the guy's also an accountant well, apparently, over the five years, the guy did not pay back $325,000. He paid back $37,600, still leaving, oh, in the neighborhood. I don't know if we count interest or not, but he, he's still in the neighborhood of $300,000. So he didn't go to jail, didn't go to prison, didn't pay back the vast majority of this. And what has happened is... He has now been let off off the hook. His probation was not extended. It hasn't been revoked. He hasn't been sent to prison. Instead, he's just walking away. Now, it is possible, of course, that the estate of this woman who was ripped off can can sue and can get a civil judgment. But again, good luck trying to recover that. Bottom line is you have a guy who stole hundreds of thousands of dollars and because of the probation system and the judge who imposed a stupid sentence in the first place, you have somebody who is not being held accountable at all, doesn't do jail time, um, pays a modest amount back, but doesn't come close to making the victim whole. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this sound right to you? Again, this, I will tell you what frustrates me the most. Like I say, you take, you take a young, you take a 19-year-old kid who's got absolutely nothing and who walks in and, again, using a squirt gun or something like that, steals $50 from a cash register at a convenience store, and there's a very good chance that that kid is going to be going to prison or at least spend some time behind bars. In the system now, 
especially, and this is the bias that I think comes from white-collar professionals and lawyers and things like that, you steal hundreds of thousands of dollars systematically, and you avoid responsibility or being held accountable, or you avoid consequences by saying, well, you know, I, I just, I, I have to be able to work to pay this back, and of course, maybe it's because judges say there, but for the grace of God, go I, or, oh, maybe he's not really such a bad guy, and if you steal hundreds of thousands of dollars with a pen, that's different than stealing $50 with a, a squirt gun, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This strikes me as just simply being grossly unfair, and it happens over and over again. Steal big, walk away. Steal a little, you end up going to prison. And I'm not arguing that the guy that walks in and with threat of force takes $50 out of a cash register should not be held accountable. That is not my point. My point is, how in God's green earth do you justify people who steal hundreds of thousands of dollars not being held accountable? It starts with the judge for imposing what, in my opinion, is a ridiculous sentence. And then... I have serious questions about the probation department that allows this guy to complete his probation when he still owes hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution. All right, we're going to discuss this after the news. If you're on the line, please hold on 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this seem right to you? It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620, it's 908. Glad to have you with us. All right, here, here, here's the deal. You have a, a guy who used to work at a prominent Milwaukee law firm systematically steals several hundred thousand dollars from an elderly client who apparently suffers from dementia, gets caught. And this happens all the time. It's the sob story. They go into court and say, okay, look, look, judge, don't, okay, we acknowledge he, he stole hundreds of thousands of dollars, but don't send him to prison. I mean, what we need to do, sending him to prison won't do anything. It won't make the society better. Here's what you do. Just put him on probation instead. Let him keep working. Let him make the victim whole. All right, so that's what happens to this guy named Jeffrey Elverman. Instead of going to prison for stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars, he's put on probation, and he's told to, okay, make restitution payments, make make the victim whole. So over a five-year period of time, he pays $37,600. That's it. He ends up, he still... I mean, owes a couple hundred thousand dollars. The probation term is up. The Department of Corrections does not try to extend the probation. The judge doesn't revoke his probation for not paying this back. He's essentially completely off the hook. Now, they will file civil lawsuits trying to get the balance of the money back. But, again, this is probably one of those deals where even if you get a judgment, it's probably not going to be collectible. The only real hook that the system had to get this guy to make meaningful restitution, frankly, was the threat of prison. And that's gone. Let's talk to Leroy in New Berlin. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I, the way I look at this, okay, there's white-collar and blue-collar crime. Right. Then we have to factor in race. I hate to say it. No, I don't. I don't. You don't. Don't hate you know. to say it, Leroy. I I think that that I think that that is a factor in in this as well. I think the fact that you've got this white guy lawyer who steals all this money. 
I think that was something that played into effect. And some people might not like to hear it, but I believe you're exactly right. This, <laughs> this is, again, one of those sort of situations where I think race is one of the factors. Nobody would admit it. It might be subtle, but I don't disagree with you. Yeah. And the thing is, like, you could take a white kid from the suburbs and take a black kid. Both of them hold up someone with an air pistol. Mm-hmm. That white kid coming from privilege will get counseling, you know, something like mm-hmm. that black kid he'll go off to prison yeah and what's crazy like my dad he owned a american family insurance company one of his uh workers stole ten thousand dollars they sentenced my dad to 18 months in the house of correction plus he had to pay back the money mm-hmm. you know and i mean he, he got no leaning yeah so you know and i bet if someone else had done it you know uh of the color, hey, pay back the money, you know, I, and we'll probably just take your license. Well, you know, I mean, again, I, I know that that's, that's tough, and some people might not like to hear it, but I do believe that that is one of the factors as well. And this, this, is, not a, this is not necessarily a new thing. This is an extreme example of that. But I used to see it all the time back in the day with these white-collar criminals and this, this idea that, well, okay, somehow we're special. And the fact that this argument that is constantly made to judges who then guppy on this, well, here, okay, I, I – here, here's this, you know, middle-aged lawyer who stole hundreds of thousands of dollars, and well, I don't. I, again, I think there's a lot of this "there but for the grace of God" attitude go by. These judges look out and they see some of their colleagues. Oh, well, this guy's done so many great things over his career, and he's been this wonderful person. And he's he's suffering so badly because he's probably going to lose his law license or whatever. All right, doesn't matter. Stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from an elderly victim. The idea that you would not send this man to prison in the first place is absolutely appalling. And then the idea that you're just if the idea if the idea is the reason he stayed out of prison was so that he could make the victim whole. The fact that he makes thirty seven thousand dollars in payments over a five year period, the victim is still in this case, the victim's estate is still hundreds of thousands of dollars short. And you simply say, okay, you've satisfied your probation. No, you haven't. You haven't paid restitution at the very least. At the very least, don't you extend this to continue to keep the pressure on the guy? This entire case is a travesty. Like I say, in my opinion, it starts with the circuit judge handing down this absurd, in my opinion, sentence in the first place, and then the way the Department of Corrections handles this, and now, again, victims, well, okay, you got $37,000, big deal. I have a feeling that if the argument was, if the argument was, hey, I tell you what, you know, let him instead of sending the guy to prison, let him pay you back thirty-seven thousand dollars over five years. I think most people would have said, "No, go to go to go to prison." It is a very, very frustrating thing, and it demonstrates the problem and, and the two sorts of, in my opinion, standards of justice: steal with a pen, and you can literally get away with pretty much anything. You know, steal with the water pistol, you're going to prison. And I'm not saying people that steal with the water pistol shouldn't go to prison. I'm just saying, where is the accountability for somebody who rips off hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars? 914, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number three is coming up. And if you are in the market for an automobile, you want to be listening. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What are Wisconsin politicians saying about the new health care proposal? John McCure goes through some local reaction on Wisconsin's afternoon news after Brewers baseball 
uh, this afternoon. Okay. Um, by the way, if you go to WTMJ.com, our main page, check out the mobile app. You can download a series of our podcasts. Uh, we podcast this show every day. And matter of fact, the people who keep track of that says lots of people are doing that. So check it out. It's on the podcast page. There's also a number of other podcasts from people who you might not you, voices you don't typically hear on the radio, and there's some really some extremely interesting ones. So check that all out. All right, I, I'm in the market for a new car. Matter of fact, I'm waiting. There's a car I'm looking at that's I, I'm kind of down to two, and there's the the new year car is come the new version of the car is coming out at the end of March. So I'm kind of waiting till that car comes out so I can compare it against the other one that I am looking at. The it is amazing how things have changed over time, and at the risk of saying back in my day. Uh, the average cost of a new vehicle nowadays, the average cost of a new car is $35,000. That's the average. Now, that means then half or less and half or, or more. But, I mean, $35,000, a new car purchase, it, it, is, it is expensive. There's no question about that. And affordability ends up being a huge issue. Well, one of the things that President Trump has been talking about is what they call a a border adjustment tax. You know, this would be the idea that we are going to put a tax on parts, auto parts in particular, that are manufactured in Mexico and exported to the U.S., And the idea is we're going to build this border wall, and one of the ways we can do it is by putting a tax on the border. The the auto dealers are absolutely apoplectic about this, manufacturers and and dealers, because what what they say is that the the way the auto industry works is that you, you have there's this supply chain for parts and vehicles made in the US and Canada that is very very integrated um in some cases raw materials cross borders many times in the, the manufacturing process i mean in the example the story i'm looking at it says for example a piece of steel might be taxed when it enters the US to be made into a screw the screw then get shipped to Mexico to fasten a box for electronic controls. So then the box comes to Michigan to be attached to a V8 engine. Then the engine goes to Mexico where it's installed in a pickup truck. And then that pickup truck is sent to Milwaukee. You know, so and but that's that's the way it happened. You have a manufacturing process now that that, like I say, they use the word integrated, and there, there's plants all over the world, but particularly Canada, U.S., Mexico. You've got this stuff that is bouncing back and forth. So, in, in this particular example, you could have a single part that is taxed multiple times before the vehicle ultimately gets to Wisconsin where it's going to be sold. So, okay, you, you might say, well, Jeff, okay, what's what's the big deal ab- about that? Well, it raises the whole question about what really is an American car. I mean, is it a, an American car if it's sold here? Is it an American car if it's, you know, one of the American automakers? What about, because, again, when, when you're talking about a lot of these vehicles, different parts are made and, you know, it, it's all ended up being put together in different fashions. So what the auto dealers and the automakers are saying is if you go ahead with this border tax where we're going to start taxing stuff back and forth, they estimate that that realistically the average cost of an automobile could go up 
somewhere between you know two and two thousand five hundred dollars just in added taxes paid by this typical back and forth the way the process is set up now and make no mistake if the government taxes the automakers to generate revenue for building the wall what do you think is going to happen to the price of the car well i'll give you one guess the price of those taxes, those tax increases, are going to be built into the cost of a car. So instead of an average car costing thirty-five grand, it's now going to cost thirty-seven thousand or thirty-eight thousand. And if you're financing a car, well, okay, your payments are going to go up. The the duration of the payments are going to go up. So these automakers and auto dealers are saying, wait a second, that th- this border adjustment tax is going to be incredibly anti-consumer the way it plays out. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, here, here, is, here is my question. It sounds good, and I acknowledge that. It sounds good to say, all right, let's... Let's stick it to let's stick it to these companies that are bringing parts into the United States. We want to encourage people to buy American. But in reality, given that you have this integrated system, you're going to be talking about huge tariffs which are going to be passed on to consumers. So, is this a good idea? Do you want to see us increase taxes on parts for cars? Are you willing to pay extra for that knowing that in all likelihood, what you pay in extra tariffs, one way or another, directly or indirectly, that's probably going to be used to pay for this border wall. Do you want to pay an extra two or $2,500 for the cars? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Again, I, this is, I want to deal, and one of the things we do on this program is we deal with what, what I call the real world, and, and this this idea that we have we're self-contained this idea that everything that goes for example into an automobile comes from the united states that's just not the case and this is one of the classic examples: steel comes in from somewhere else made into screws in the u.s screw then goes down to mexico to be put into a box box then comes back from mexico to go to put into electronics for an engine the engine then goes down to mexico to be assembled in the vehicle which then comes back into the u.s let's start with vincent on the northwest side vincent good morning good morning jeff what do you think uh, this this is definitely going to be a regressive tax that the consumers are going to end up eating and regressive meaning that it's going to hit lower income people even yeah. harder because maybe you vince and i know you're rolling in dough you know an extra two grand on a car isn't going to make any difference but <laughs> but somebody else it might sure yeah it, it might and and, and and so the fact is is that in the last several years the, the car companies have had record sales and record profits so the, so, so, the, so the fact is is that they're doing well. So now you're going to go after a business, that, that, that's, especially American car companies. You're going to go after businesses who are doing well in, in, in the United States. The point is, you know, uh, right. President Trump promised that Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Obviously, they're not. It's going to be on the backs of the American people. And, I, I, and, and, and so the fact is, I, I don't think we should tolerate this. Well, right. And, you know, and let, let's take the, the, the ultimate unintended consequence. And you're right. You know, the auto industry has been coming back. You've got jobs. You've got more people working at these things or supplying it. All right. Let's say that the American consumers 
end up because the price of a car goes up a couple thousand dollars. So that prices some people out of the market, makes them delay buying the new cars or whatever. All right, then ultimately, worst case scenario is that then starts costing jobs because you know people aren't buying the cars. You don't need as many people working. Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Keith in Two Rivers. Keith, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, you know, as much as I'd like to say it would bring jobs back to this country, I don't think it will. Um, Forbes or or Money Magazine had a, a story. It was a pretty good one. How they said that seventy to eighty percent of this country's manufacturing output is exported. Right. So if, if we start getting into a trade war, they said it's going to cost millions of jobs. Right. And I think because our you know Canadian, Canada, with uh, United States and Mexico are so integrated with, yeah. with each other, it's not only going to be the, the price of vehicles; it's going to be the cost of your dishwashers, your stoves, your refrigerators, right. you know, where, where stuff is subassembled down there in Mexico, and then final assemblies up, up here in this country. So, I mean, the price of everything is going to go up. Well, well right. From- right. It's interesting, Keith, because, I mean, some people might argue, well, Jeff, here, here, here's the real point. What we need to do is we need to be completely self-contained. What we, we shouldn't we shouldn't be bringing in steel from overseas. We, we should just do everything in the U.S. But that's just not the way the world works anymore. It's no. just, you know, th- th- it's not going to be all, which is why I always raise the question about what does it really mean to be made in the U.S.? If, if the steel comes from overseas, is the car not made in the U.S.? If it's put together in Detroit, but the electronics come from Mexico or vice versa, I just don't know what made in the U.S. means anymore. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's actually benefited us as, as consumers. It, it's kept the prices sure. reasonable. You know, it's a thing which, which helps every, which helps all, all three countries' economies roll. So, well, no, you're 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 exactly right because that that's that's the whole idea. If now you say, okay, we're we're only if you want to avoid the tariff. Steel comes in, send it to Mexico, they make it the screw, they send the screw back, say, no, no, it's, it's all got to be self-contained here. Well, okay, what is that going to do to costs of saying, all right, now we've got to increase American steel production, and that's going to run up the costs of all those different things. And, and ultimately, it is the consumers that are going to have to eat this one way or the other. And what happens yep. if they don't? Yep, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to end up, it's going to be a failure in the end. I mean, they, they, they tried during, during, during the Great Depression, but not. Um, tariff tax on stuff, you know, try and keep stuff made, right? You know, from coming in, and it didn't work. It actually ended up costing more jobs, and it stretched out the depression longer than what it should have went. Well, exactly, and and again, you make the point about, and then what are the other countries going to do? Now, I, I understand you can look, for example, at the trade relations we have with with China, and you can say, okay, is this a fair deal? And are they manipulating currency and all that stuff? And I, I think that those those are fair questions to ask. But particularly when it comes to automobiles, this idea that we are going to now put additional taxes on, on parts or vehicles every time they move back and forth between a, a Ford plant in Canada or a Ford plant in Mexico and the U.S. and vice versa, we're going to start taxing that. The only loser in that situation is going to be the American consumer and perhaps the American worker. And to me, that's nuts. It's 928 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, it, in the aftermath of our last topic, I mean, some people are sending me notes on our text line saying, oh, no, no, you missed the point, Jeff. We, we should we should be completely self-contained. We should not import anything, anything that goes into an automobile. We should be making it here. doesn't matter if, I don't know, the, the places in Mexico or the places in Europe or whatever are, are equipped 
and have the skills and the technology to you know build the circuit boards quicker, cheaper, whatever. We, we should we should build it all in this country. We shouldn't depend at all on anything overseas. And if it adds the price, well, so what? Well, okay, that that's that's what I always say about. Right, everybody who says, "Well, you know, we 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 want to buy American, we want to buy American, we want to buy American," and yet everybody is lined up on Black Friday outside the Walmart, wanting to buy the fifty-nine dollar you know Blu-ray disc player because that's been made in Korea or wherever because they want the fifty-nine dollar disc player. They don't want to pay three hundred dollars if we had to try to build it in the United States. You just cannot have it both ways. Which leads me to what I want to discuss with you next. We have been having and continue to have this ongoing debate about immigration in in this country. And there does certainly appear right now to be a crackdown by the Trump administration on people who are illegally in this country. They're concentrating, I think, on people who have deportation orders, who haven't left the country. They're concentrating on people who have criminal records. But nevertheless, I mean, there's other people, and if the immigration officials find folks who've been in this country and they're not allowed to, yeah, this idea of turning the other cheek or looking the other way is, is kind of disappearing. But the discussion, and we've talked about variations of this before, is what happens if we really get serious about this. I have to admit, I first got turned on to the, 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 the Wisconsin's dairy industry back years and years ago when I was running for state attorney general. And June is dairy month, went to a lot of dairy farms, you did a lot of dairy breakfasts. Um, I, as, as you travel around the state, you understand how big the dairy industry is. And the, the dairy industry in Wisconsin is you know, small family farms, and it's also larger dairy farms as well. And I have said this repeatedly. Um, if you want to talk about a tough way to make a living, you know, be a dairy farmer. I mean, first of all, it's, it's just tough, physically demanding work. And it never ends. All right, the, you know, the, the, those cows, they need to be milked how many times a day they need to be milked. The cows don't know if you've got a cold. The cows don't care if you've got a flu. The, the flu, the cows don't care if it's Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve or the 4th of July. The cows just need to be milked. So it's constant. There's a constant demand. And then you've got the economics of it. You know, it costs a lot to run a dairy business, and you're always subject to milk prices and things like that. Well, all right, here's, here's what they say in reality, about the Wisconsin dairy industry. There are estimates that say that about 60%, actually, some say maybe as much as 80%, 8 out of 10 of the hired help on large Wisconsin dairy operations is immigrant labor, 80%. Now, all of that is not people who are in this country illegally, but the estimates are that a large percentage of that are workers who are undocumented. More importantly, dairy farmers are pretty much unanimous, and maybe we'll get some calls to the contrary, but many, many dairy farmers agree that without the immigrant help, without the foreign-born help, that they, they would be forced out of business because they simply can't find enough other people willing to accept these physically demanding jobs for $13 an hour. They, they just can't find American workers 
who will do this, or at least find enough of them who will do it for 13 bucks an hour. Story I'm looking at quotes one dairy farmer saying, if you remove Mexican labor, farms would go out of business. That is a given. Um, dairy farmers say they get almost zero response from native-born applicants, you know, even when the pay is comparable with nearby factories. They say it is impossible to find reliable help, even in areas where people were born and raised on farms, because uh, a lot of a lot of people, you grow up maybe in one of these small towns, and you don't want to stay in, in the small town. Or, you know, maybe you, you've watched... How difficult it is for your father. You, you know, you grew up on a dairy farm, and, and maybe farming isn't in your blood. Or alternatively, you've watched how hard mom and dad have had to work, and you said, you know, this life just isn't for me. Life, life is life is too short, and I I, I want to be able to take vacations, and I don't want to have to worry about doing this. So. The bottom line is a lot of these dairy farmers are saying that if you crack down on immigration, what's really going to happen is you're going to decimate you're going to decimate the the dairy industry. One of the other things that some of them say is, hey, even when we try recruiting help from cities, you know, we, we look at areas like, for example, Milwaukee, where there's a high jobless rate, and, and we we put ads in and we try to get people to leave the city to come, I don't know, you know, into some of the rural areas to work at dairy farms. People aren't doing that. They're, they're just not willing to relocate for that money. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up and, again, have this honest conversation. I understand the dialogue is what part of illegal don't you understand. But if if we really started cracking down on undocumented aliens you know, who are, are working, for example, in the dairy industry, what would that do to the dairy industry? Would we really be able to find Americans who are willing to do the jobs? Dairy farmers say, hey, you know, 13 bucks an hour, that's what we pay. That's what these jobs are worth. We can't find Americans who will do the job for $13 an hour. And so then you might just say, okay, well, I guess you could say, well, then, you know, pay them $30 an hour. Well, okay, well, then these farms are going to go out of business because – you know, you're struggling to make it paying the workers 13 bucks an hour. You say pay them $30 an hour so you can get somebody that will work at the job. And what's going to happen then? Well, you're, you're not going to be able to make a go of it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 943. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 946. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Scott in Burlington. Scott, good morning. You're first. Yeah, Jeff. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about this very same topic. And um, on some of these bigger farms where we can put workers to work for a full shift, 8 or 12 hours, you know, right. it's tough to find Americans to want to do that. Um, I got a lot of friends that, you know, they're higher up their management level, you know, people in these farms. But when we start talking about the smaller family farms where it's too much for the individual family, right? you know, and they just need help for a couple, you know, four hours a day or something, it is really tough to find yeah. Americans, even high school kids that want to work. I mean, oh yeah, we tried uh, last summer trying to get people, and you know we're offering them ten bucks an hour, and uh, it's just not working. Well, so. right, it, it, right, it, it's it's hard work. 
it's yeah. I, I mean it, it's it, it's not glamorous work, and especially I got to imagine Scott is in some areas in Wisconsin where again you have the workforce shifting. You've got the 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 the, the kids, for example, are growing up and, and they don't want to take over the family farms. They they want to go do something else. Um, yep. So and there's there's not that population to replace them. I mean, it's kind of like where are the people going to come from? Yep, there's a huge discussion right now in the dairy industry on that. You know, and I know Dairy Carey is one of them who kind of brought this about. There's a lot of other really good people in the industry that are talking about this, trying to get our young generation more involved, wanting to take over. Right. Because it's a very tough industry, you know, and for a young person um, to try and find a farm, get set up to milk cows, right? it's a million-dollar-plus adventure. And, you know, unfortunately, the banks want you to, you know, do it all at once, and that's not the way it works. Well, and even from the perspective of trying to find part-time work, if, if you say, okay, I can go, and this, I'm not knocking flipping burgers, but I, I can go and, and flip burgers or work at a, as a clerk at a, at, a, at a shoe store or something like that, and they're going to pay me 10 bucks an hour, or I, I can go, you know, go, go work on a dairy farm with all that physical stuff and getting dirty and all that stuff, and, and they're going to pay me $12 an hour. Everybody's saying, I'm going to take the $10 an hour. Yeah, you know, I mean, on top of that, in southeast Wisconsin, we've got so many factory jobs. We've got so many other opportunities, construction. Um, right. We talk to people out, you know, west in Idaho, Utah, South Dakota. I mean, they're paying good workers, nine, ten bucks an hour tops, you know, and their labor costs are a lot less. And that's why we see so many of our farmers looking now towards the robots. Right. And, uh, some of this automation trying to make things right. more efficient. It's, well, it's right. No, I mean, th- I mean, you know, we, we talked about that the other week, too. I, I do think that that's going to be one of the trends um, in, in a lot of different industries. You have this big, the fast food people. Okay, we, we want $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, if you want to guarantee that employment in those jobs in fast food industries, that people lose their jobs en masse, push for $15 an hour because you'll do what they're doing in Wendy's, at Wendy's now, where they're they're putting in more of these automated kiosks. You know, the, what was the thing? It cost $15,000 for an automated kiosk. You, you pay for that, and the payback period is, is about a year, and you, you don't need people behind the counter. At least you don't need as many people behind the counter. Jim in Brookfield. Jim, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I'm coming at this from a different angle. Sure. It's a free market angle, and it's one that I think can resonate with a lot of your listeners. If you follow it through, it's not dissimilar to what you just talked about when you were talking about border tax adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, so here it is. Uh, look at, just take a step back and look at the macroeconomic environment in which we've been operating throughout the entire Obama administration and to some extent prior. We've had millennials that can't afford to buy homes. We've had artificially low interest rates. We've had artificially high asset prices. One thing that we've had is we've, we've been unable to get any wage inflation in the United States. Mm-hmm. And artificial, I should say, um, illegal immigration is an artificial um, suppressant to wage inflation, just as the Federal Reserve's um, overstimulated uh, positions have uh, have, uh, inflated asset prices. If an industry like the dairy industry actually raised its wages to the point where it was attractive for people to come into the industry, that would, of course, increase the prices of the goods in the industry. Dramatically. But... But but if you look at what dairy products cost 
on on any comparison basis, whether it's whether it's nutritional or whether it's on volume. I mean, it's a relatively cheap product relative to so many other things. And if you if you paid a market rate for legal citizens or legal immigrants, you would have wage inflation. Um, that's going to create some inflation in the economy, mm-hmm. but that is also going to have the impact of raising intermediate long-term interest rates, which is going to benefit savers. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're reallocating resources based on market forces, and you're getting to points of equilibrium. Well, but but I, I guess we're, we're, I, here's where I, I have issues with what you're saying. First of all, I'm not sure that especially in a lot of these rural areas – that even if you wa- raise the wages, you would still find there's still enough American workers who would be de- willing to do this type of work. I mean, I guess that's my, my first issue with this. And secondly, so let's say you, t- you, you, let's say you, you have to pay $20 an hour, for example, to find people who are willing to do this undesirable work. Um, that's going to have, I mean, so then you're going to double the price of a gallon of milk. I mean, do you really think consumers are going to put up with that? That's a great question, and, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Let's follow that for a moment, because as you were asking the question about getting people to go to rural areas to do the work right. uh, and characterizing it as undesirable, think about what happened in the petroleum, in, in, in oil in the United States over the course of the last People going years. to North Dakota for fracking, right. Boom, right. you nailed it. That's exactly it. I mean, I'd rather do anything than go to North Dakota to frack. But for the money, maybe it's worth it for a lot of people. So let's let's go ahead and accept the fact that if the money's there, people will make those types of decisions. Um, when you talk about are consumers being going to be willing to pay the old extra price, what you also do is um, either farms are going to have pricing power and they're going to be able to still move the product based on the higher prices, or what happens is it becomes more lucrative for larger, more efficient producers to acquire the smaller mm-hmm. producers at a higher rate and so that they, you know, when the when the price of something goes up, more producers rush in. Yeah, and I guess that's I, I mean, what causes price. Yeah, I mean, the gym, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, I see. I think, I, I just don't think that is the reality of the world now. I, I think that if you increase the labor costs dramatically enough, we will assume for the sake of argument that if you pay enough money, you will find unemployed people in the city of Milwaukee who are willing to, you know, move to northwestern Wisconsin to work on a dairy farm. Even if we assume for the sake of argument that that's the case, and I'm not sure I really do, but but assuming that to be the case, I I just, when you're talking about that amount of money that you would have to pay, and I appreciate what you're saying, okay, fracking takes off, and so, you know, people move to, to North Dakota to do fracking. I, I just I'm not sure that that's going to play out across the board. But but even so, let, let's say that magic number is now twenty dollars an hour. So instead, of, we're, we're going to now double our labor costs. So we're going to double the price of a gallon of milk and things like that. I, I just see, I don't I think there would be such a huge consumer backlash on that. And is it possible there might be some trickle down moving forward? Well, well maybe. But I, I think. Honestly, in that situation, the more likely scenario is going to be the automation thing. That it's finally, if you say, okay, your labor to a to a dairy farmer, your labor costs are now going to double. Um, what the most the big reaction is going to be? The small family farmer is going to say, I can't deal with this. I, I can't I can't pay somebody twenty dollars an hour instead of ten dollars an hour. I'm just going to sell to the corporate places. The corporate places, you know, might be able to make the investments and maybe have the automation. There will always be a, a dairy industry, I guess. But I gotta believe that 
you know, heavy crackdowns on undocumented or at least foreign born workers is going to bring a sea change in the way the dairy industry operates. Will it decimate it? No. Will it make it substantially different? Um, you know, you, you bet. 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Wisconsin's gas tax has been frozen for more than 10 years. Is it time for people to bite the bullet and raise it? Get the details and some perspective on Scafidi and Billstead, 12.07 today. All right, this is my favorite story of of the day. Very thought-provoking. It's in the Chicago Tribune. It's a way that you can help yourself and perhaps help your employer. All right, see, it's it's a win-win situation all around. Everybody's now all ears. All right, here's the headline. Having sex boosts your work performance the next day, according to a study. Um, <laughs> there, there's studies for, for everything that are out there. Right, Jane? <laughs> here's the one about shoes and uh, buying shoes. All right, well, well, here, here's the one. It, th- these studies, this is, this is what this one says. It, it says that... Um, it's focusing on one common but heretofore overlooked home life behavior with potential mood enham- enhancing implications, nightly sexual behavior. Researchers followed 159 married couples in a variety of industries for two weeks, asking them to complete various surveys. And, you know, each morning the, the participants were asked, did you get busy the night before? And um, employees who did. You know, reported more positive moods the next morning, which led to more sustained work engagement and job satisfaction. These <laughs> effects appeared to last for a full 24 hours and were equally strong for men and women. So there you have it. We have all these suggestion boxes around the studio, around the building. I know what I am putting in. Hondo, can I write your name down as the one who suggested this? <laughs> and we, we, we give away bonuses for the best idea. So, okay, this is... this. All right, this is it. This is going to be your suggestion. I got to figure out exactly how the workplace could encourage this, but I am all about trying to be that good employee encouraging productivity. 1009, Jack Wagner. So, Jane, do, do you remember? Did you go to prom when you were in high school? I did. You did? I did. Multiple proms? Or I, I imagine you were. Uh, I, I imagine you were. Ed- you just you just beating the boys off with sticks. I oh, imagine. yes, it was terrible. And no, I did go twice. Do you remember? Was the prom dress a big deal? Trying to figure out what you were going to buy and how. Absolutely. Did this, this, you would spend months <laughs> talking to your girlfriends about what kind of dress you were going to get. And were there strict guidelines? Do you remember on what you were allowed to wear or not, or was it pretty much? Whatever you you felt like, and yeah. pretty much. But again, Jeff, we're going back a long way. <laughs> you know, there we just didn't. We, there At least was a couple years, huh? But, but it wasn't racy. You know what I mean? It wasn't about being racy. It wasn't about showing a lot of cleavage or being, you know, having really short skirts or so. I, at that point, it just really wasn't an issue. And for another thing. Our parents would never have let us walk out the walk out the door. <laughs> they they just wouldn't. But you know, but but still, you and I are about the same age. I mean, I can remember. You know, as a child of the seventies, I do remember like the micro mini skirts and stuff sure. like like that. And mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I remember as a teenage boy going, "My goodness, that looks great." But but how do you sit down in those type of things? And you stuff never like you that? never sit. You never sit. That's it. <laughs> you stand for the rest of the day. All right. Okay. So so the prom dress, a lot of thought went into it, but it wasn't necessarily you did. There wasn't this big standard about what's going to be appropriate and what's not. No. Not 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 back then there wasn't. Okay. Well, thank you, Jay. Now, the reason I asked, I, I used poor Jane as my, my tackling dummy on this particular topic, was that 
the times they are a changing. I have a link. This is the segment I call Dealer's Choice. Um, I do this this time of the day every day it's not necessarily the biggest most significant topic but it's what i find to be really interesting and really talkable i have a link up at wtmj.com to this story so you can read it in its entirety you can actually see the slide presentation that i am looking at about this there is a school it is a catholic school in rockford illinois boylan catholic high school And in anticipation of the prom season, they have come out with with various dress codes. Now, the the boys' dress code for the gentlemen, it's two pages. And essentially it says tuxedos, suits, or sport jackets. Tuxedos, suits, or sport jackets with slacks are required. That, that, That is basically it for boys. For girls... For ladies, it is a 21-page rule book, and I have a link to the rule book up there. 21 pages, complete with pictures as to what is acceptable and what is is not. Um, in just and they've got. I'm, I'm looking at a number of these illustrations, but essentially, dresses should not have necklines low enough to show cleavage. Um, skirts of the dresses should hit below mid-thigh, but it, it goes on and on and on. No bare midriffs, no mesh cutouts, no see-through lace, no high slits, no mini dresses, no open backs, all, all those different types of things. And it lists it complete with, and again, I'm, I'm looking at the 21-page, non-acceptable dress slits, for example, that they have. Now, interestingly, the dress policy says... Some girls may wear the same dress, but due to body types, one dress may be acceptable while the other might not be. So, again, presume I go go figure exactly what that means. But it says, okay, just it's not just the dress, but it's the body type. And presumably, you know, where this falls on someone or what the gal's body looks like or, or whatever. This has created... And what they say is, by the way, you know, we're giving you notice on this. Uh, the prom tickets are sixty-five bucks. If you show up in a dress that has not been pre-approved, they are encouraging all the young ladies to have their dresses pre-approved in advance of the prom. And they say that if the dresses are not pre-approved and somebody shows up in a quote-unquote unacceptable one that doesn't fit within the standards of this 21-page rule book, that what's going to happen is you're going to be turned away and you're not going to get a refund and it's just you are out of luck. Um, this, This has generated national attention um and 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 a lot of people are just denouncing the school for what they call body shaming they say this this is the classic stuff you you know boys you say this is fine girls you have this 21 page standard one of the people who says this is body shaming the line in the code is discriminatory and supports body shaping girls do not have a choice in how their bodies were made so more voluptuous bodies are going to have more cleavage and curves taller girls dresses will hit higher up on the leg than a shorter girl it's nature telling one girl she has to restrict her body by only wearing certain fashions and telling another her body is fine in any fashion is sending a message about 
what the right body is to have and what the wrong body is to have. These messages are often damaging to girls. We are not allowed to discriminate in the U.S. based on race, disability, gender, etc. So why are schools discriminating against girls based on their bodies? All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Undoubtedly, you perhaps went to prom when you were in high school. Maybe you've had kids that have gone to prom. What do you think about the idea that the school is putting out a 21-page booklet defining what is appropriate and what is inappropriate for girls' dresses, saying some might be, you could take the same dress, it might be okay for one girl, it might not be okay for another girl. Is this body shaming or is this the school exercising well, the type of restraint that you as a parent would like to see. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And if you want to see the whole story, again, WTMJ.com on our main page. Um, you'll, you'll see a link to it. Wagner School comes out with 21-page handbook on prom dresses. Is it overkill? We discuss next. 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. Hey, Jeff. As a former teacher who once had to help chaperone a prom, <laughs> I have no problem with this. When I chaperone the prom, there, I had to basically train myself to not look in certain directions for like three and a half hours. Because <laughs> you didn't want to be labeled as that dirty old man who was ogling the young ladies, huh? Exactly. Exactly. I, I consider not wearing deodorant, so none of them would go, go near me. But that would have been going a little too far. So you think that a lot of you, you think that a lot of the styles and stuff really not only just pushed the envelope, but crossed crossed whatever line of appropriateness there was, huh? Well, yeah. There's that. And if I put myself, try and put myself in the place of these students, um, what might seem appropriate at that time. Um, what, they might rethink that in like five years when they're going through and looking at photographs and stuff and say, oh, my God, I actually wore that. Is it, I mean, the term that gets thrown around a lot, Jeff, now is, is body shaming. And, and what the school is saying is that, you know, you can take the same dress. It might be appropriate on one girl and not appropriate on another. The idea that, hey, okay, if a taller girl wears this dress and it's going to show too much leg, a shorter girl, it's it's fine. Or or girls that have cleavage and don't. I mean, does that does that unfairly shame certain body, certain girls who might be taller or more voluptuous or whatever? Not if they're consistent, but about it, I think that it's really more about just trying to be out front and being proactive. Right. No, I, and, that, and that, see, that's what the school is saying. The school is saying, look, the, the, and this is not a public school. This is a private school. We are trying to establish guidelines, and we understand that a lot of people aren't going to like this, uh, but, you know, the, we, we recognize that different girls are, are different. And so, you know, we're, we're, you know, somebody can wear an outfit, and it's going to look one way, and it's going to be appropriate, and somebody else can't. It's not a question of body shaming. It's just a question of, you know, of, of appropriateness. It's what I say about guys, you know, at the state fair. All right, guys, I mean, this is my tip. You know, if you're going to wear a muscle shirt, you need to have muscles. That That's just that's just the thing. Okay, is this going too far? Al in Milwaukee. Al, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Al. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, Does this was, go too far? I was a counselor with the uh, school system, and my approach was simply that uh, – we brought in the fashion people with the, with the tuxedos and the gowns, and we demonstrate to girls what the appropriateness was. And so we made it very simple. The three Bs, no bus, 
no belly, no butt. <laughs> and, that's, and, and it, it, it went perfect. Right, right. Just make it simple. Let the kids say, okay, use your, uh, and let the kids take ownership of it. Right. Now, if somebody, what would happen if somebody would show up violating that? They, 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 they were showing bust. They were showing belly. They were showing, you know, had, too much uh, backside. We had what you call is, uh, T-shirts. Okay. Uh, T-shirts on school that we say, well, let's use this to cover you up. Okay. We, we, we would not embarrass them. We right. bring him into his room and say, "Let's try this. Okay, let's try this instead of this and this." So we we made it appropriate, right? And it, so and kids will not be embarrassed. And everybody understood that. Everybody I understood these are the rules. Did. So the whole thing is about have, having fun, enjoying it. Well, it, um, right, see, I, I guess think. right. I mean, I I I agree. And I, I see this has got to be when, when I look at these dress codes. Now, I, I I don't know if this particular dress code, twenty one pages, you know, goes too far or not. But but I don't think there's anything wrong with schools setting standards, and I don't think there's anything wrong with schools setting dress codes. And quite candidly, if I were if I were a parent of a teenage girl, my guess is that this would this would kind of make it easier for for mom and dad to know. Okay, what you you don't have to fight that battle. Okay, your 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 daughter goes out and she's you know looking to buy a dress for prom and she comes back with something that you feel is okay for whatever reason it is age inappropriate and you know we all know what I'm talking about with this and then you get into the fight of well mom everybody else is wearing this this is the style this is how we we do it you know this is the length and that type of stuff it would seem to me that a school having a rule like this would be something that you could then just go back to you don't have to fight that battle you can say no this is just the school is saying that it's not acceptable now on on our WTMJ uh, talk and text line have a note I think it's ridiculous they're taking fun out of it let them be kids well, I think that the problem is some of the people who make the decision to let them be kids, they end up dressing like you, you take 16-year-old girls and suddenly you look like they, they end up looking like, you know, 25-year-old gals getting ready to go out, you know, for at a New York nightclub as opposed to, you know, 16-year-old girls going to prom. Now, is there a bit of a double standard between men and women? Yes, I, I guess I guess there is, but boys and girls are different, and so the rules are for boys. It's just simpler. You know, you, you got to wear a tuxedo. You you have to wear a suit. You have to wear a sport coat and a slacks, and presumably, I think a, a dress shirt and some type of tie. That that's that's it. But it, but it's easier for men's fashion than it is for women. Let me see. I got a text. I attended private schools nearly my entire school career in the 80s. We had strict dress codes and would get an attention if we did not wear a belt or a collared shirt. Some schools we play basketball games against required the boys to wear sweatpants while they were playing the games. Modesty is certainly appropriate, but some schools take it way too far. Right. And again, that's why, I, I mean, you can look at this 21-page dress code. Now, the pictures they, they have of some of the acceptable stuff and not, I, I don't have a problem with saying for, you know, a 16-year-old going to a prom that a, a dress that just barely covers their butt is too short. I don't have a problem with um, uh, a dress code that says, okay, you can't have a, a – if you're wearing a long dress, you can't have a slit that essentially goes up to almost your waist. I don't think that that's necessarily un, unreasonable. And as far as the idea of body shaming, well, um, Bill in Menominee Falls. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, yeah, this whole idea about body shaming and, and that kind of stuff, it, it makes my head explode. You know, I mean, as a guy, I'm 62. You know, I know that I have to wear pants that are a little bit longer than my buddy who's only 5'8". You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's right. just the way it is. You know, if, if I were 
you know, 250 pounds, well, I'd have to buy a bigger sport coat than my buddy that's only 180 pounds. Yeah. And it's the same <laughs> right. thing, you know, with, with women. I right. Think, Some guys know, look good without girl, shirts. Girl. Yeah. I, I go nowhere without wearing a shirt. It's not yeah, a pretty I'm, sight. I'm I know that. that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I did when I was 16. I'm 50 now, and not so much. Um, you know, as a girl, if you're six feet tall, well, I would think your parents would understand that you got to buy your dresses that are a little bit different. You know, a little bit longer, you know, right. built for girls that are taller than somebody that's only five feet two. Right. You're not going to buy a, gr- a dress for a girl that's six feet tall if your daughter is only five feet two. Right. You know, it's just, there's no body shaming about that. It's just every person's body is different. And, you know, it's just the, what you like to say, perpetually offended. Yeah, right, the, the politically like correct and the perpetually offended. No, no, thanks. That, 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 and again, I, I understand that this is applied towards girls, but you're exactly right, Bill. It also applies toward, towards guys. I mean... Uh, maybe not in the, the formal dress wear, but in the uh, again the the there there's some stuff that some guys look good in. There's some stuff that guys do not look good in, and it's not just necessarily a question of body shaming. But the truth is, we have different types of bodies, and you know it's again muscle shirts, muscle shirts. You got to have muscles. Just because I have a friend who has a saying, and she's right, it's become Wagner's rule of life number four, just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should buy it. Is that body shaming? Well, no, it's just a comment on reality. Orange spandex above a certain size doesn't work for either boys or girls. That's just the way it is. 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. WikiLeaks has been in the news for this week for hacking into the CIA. Now the group says they might partner with Apple in the near future. Hmm. Get the details and get some perspective. That's coming up on Scafidi and Billstead. Twelve thirty-five today. This is Thursday, which means during the eleven thirty segment, we do a segment I feature. I call Pop Culture Corner. We will also live stream it on Facebook. Uh, today's. I have been in an interesting mood. Lately, and today's pop culture corner sort of reflects that it will be fun, I guarantee you. And this will be one that you can all participate in because everybody is going to have an answer to the topic that we will be discussing that's coming up uh, about 11.33, so just about an hour. Okay, the, um, the headline story two days ago is the Milwaukee Public Museum plans to build a new $100 million home. Now, here's the background on, on the story. The, the Milwaukee Public Museum. Hondo, have you, have you ever been to the museum? Plenty of times. When do you think was the last time you were there? Oh, last year. Okay. Yeah. I've been, it's been several years, but I mean, it, but of course I don't have kids. So, you know, but I, uh, you try to go once or twice a year. Yeah, I, the, the Milwaukee Public Museum has been on like 8th and Wells for, oh gosh, since the early 1960s um, when it was originally built. The, the Public Museum went through a period of time in the 90s and the early part of the 2000s where it, there's just no other way to say it. In my opinion, it had been grossly mismanaged. Um, you, you had it, it was just it was a complete and total financial disaster, gross mismanagement. Things have definitely gotten better. They're starting to look at the future. What happens with with buildings is there is there is a degree there is a point 
and I understand sometimes preservationists don't quite get this, but there is a point where, where a certain building becomes obsolete. There is a point where County Stadium was a wonderful facility for a long time, but it simply kind of aged out. There was all sorts of new stuff that was there. Um, it becomes decrepit. You have th- those different types of issues. And so we, we replace not everything old is historic. Some stuff is just old. <laughs> and that's, and, and, and you, if you're in a situation where you've got stuff that's old, you, you have to make a decision. It's kind of like, all right, the stuff is old. The building is old. There's only so much that I can do with the building. Sometimes people face this with their houses as well. All right, this is, I, I love the location, but you know, it's an old house. I need all these different features. I need to do this new stuff. And, and to do the new stuff, is going to cost me, I don't know, fifty thousand dollars. Well, maybe maybe it's just worth buying a new house that has that stuff in it um, already. In the case of the Milwaukee Public Museum, there has been years of deferred maintenance, and I mean years and years. And that goes back. I think that probably goes back fifteen or twenty years, especially when we were talking about a lot of this mis- museum mismanagement that was was going on. So there's there's huge, huge deferred maintenance that, that is out there. Plus, they've got all sorts of problems, apparently, with the basement, with, like, leaks and things like that. So they've been studying, what do we do? They've decided that to, re- to fix the museum, to do the upgrades that they need and that they want to do, working on an old building that was built in the early 1960s that is not historic, it would cost somewhere around $100 million. And they're saying, you know, for that, for $100 million, it makes sense to just build something completely new, fi- find a different location and build something new. And so what, what they're saying this week is that, okay, we've decided that rather than pouring $100 million into trying to upgrade and modernize an old building, it would just be law. Lo- and then at the end of the day, we're still going to have an old building. They're just saying it would be cheaper to just go ahead and, and build a, a new home for this. And I, I don't fault that. I mean, to me, again, that's the decision that you make. You know, do you try to preserve the old? And a lot of times it just makes sense to say, okay, let, let's just let's start over again in trying to, you know, renovate the, the building. So this raises issues, of course, about, you know, where, you know, where is it going to be and on all those different types of things. But, but there's a bigger question that, that's out there, and, and that is whether you're talking renovation or whether you're talking building again, you're talking a, a hundred plus million dollar commitment for a new facility. Now, attendance is up at, at the museum, and I think they've done a great job of marketing themselves. I think a lot of the exhibits that they've had have brought in people over the years. But there are a lot of cultural needs in, in our community. Remember, we're, we're still having this ongoing debate about what you're doing with the Mitchell Park Domes. I mean, the Mitchell Park Domes right now are open, but there's a temporary, it's a temporary fix. You had chunks of concrete that were falling off the top of this aging structure that was once again built in the 60s, and it's falling apart. They've got netting that's up right now, but that's not a long-term solution. So ultimately, you know, we're going to have to be faced with the question of, do we spend $60 million trying to fix the domes permanently? Do we spend $65, 70 $80 million rebuilding the domes, or do we simply say, you know, maybe the domes have, have outrun and outlived 
their their usefulness, and maybe we need to move on to something else. Lost in this discussion about you know their plan to build a hundred million dollar new home for the museum is the the larger question of okay is it worth it? I mean, how important as a cultural institution is the Milwaukee Public Museum to to this this area? It's clearly cool. There, there's no doubt about it. Is it more important than the art museum? Is it more important than the domes? Where does it fit in with priorities? And what do you think about the idea of of a hundred million dollars? And obviously, some of it's going to have to be public money. I'm sure they'll get some donors and stuff. But what do you think about the idea of a hundred million dollars to build a new Milwaukee museum? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's start with Bill in Waukesha. Bill, good morning. I good morning. I I read the article, and it just. Three years ago, I was in Europe, and I was touring museums that were two, three, four hundred-year-old buildings. The ones in Venice, the basements are full of water. Right. And so it, it just amazes me that we've got this attitude that when something is 50 years old, it's time to tear it down and spend $100 million. It, because it's not anybody's money. It's, right. it's, oh, it's free money or taxpayer money or... or this is insane. So I, you don't buy the idea that, that it should cost $100 million to renovate the current building. You could do it for a lot less. Good God, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I mean, should we be looking at... Should we be looking at a hundred plus million dollars for a new museum facility? The consultants say, well, it would cost that much to renovate the current one, so it just makes sense to build new. My question is, all right, is that a good use of money? How important is the museum as a cultural center around here? And is it more important than the Mitchell Park? If we understand, is it more important than the parks? If we understand that there's going to ultimately be a limited amount of public money available, where does the museum fall on the priority list? We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, once again, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner. Ten forty-seven, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. If you're just joining us, Milwaukee uh, Public Museum announces they've made the decision that they are going to be moving out of their current facility sometime in the next decade. Their lease runs, I think, through two thousand twenty-two. They've decided that we we need a brand spanking new facility um, to renovate the current one. We'd have to put a hundred million dollars in, and for that, we can build a new facility um, that would better. We can we could find and build or whatever, a new facility somewhere else downtown. Don't know where that would be. It makes more, if we're going to spend $100 million, it makes more sense to spend it on, on a new place, which to me raises the larger issue of, okay, $100 million is how important is the museum in in our, our culture? And is that the best use of resources if a chunk of that dough is going to be coming from the public? Horatio in Milwaukee. Horatio, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, uh, I know the question is uh, whether to what it's worth mm-hmm. to do it, but I'm well. I'm in my seventies. I, I can't even imagine not having a, a museum in right. the city of Milwaukee. I've been here all my life. But the question is: Have they convinced us that the overall quality of whatever we get is, is only going to be a hundred million dollars, and it's going to be 
what are they going to do with the old area there? I mean, why can't they just fill the basement with concrete or something? Like <laughs> to, to stop the leaks. Yeah, my, yeah, my, I know I could be wrong. I stand, uh, my understanding would be that if they move, that build, that building's owned by the county. So that building's yeah. going to be vacant. So, yeah. um, I, and, you know, what, what does the county decide to do with it? I mean, I, I don't know. Do, do you, do you, do you tear it down? Do you raise it and then sell it off to a developer? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. that building would be vacant because the county owns that, I believe. Yeah. So what's, what's really the overall cost and, uh, okay. You know, I mean, just, you're not convinced that they have to move. <laughs> you're you're not convinced they have to move. You you yeah. want to see them stay, but you're not convinced that you really need it, the renovations that they need to make it functional is really going to be a hundred million dollars. In other words, I still go there, and I don't have any problem. I don't think the location is terrible. Well, no, I, I don't think it's. Thanks. I don't think they're complaining so much about the location. I think they're complaining about. Uh, deferred maintenance on on the building and and look there's there's no question that that's been going on on a lot of different county properties but at the same at the same time um, uh, you've deferred maintenance is is one thing completely starting over is another and as you were alluding to one of the problems they have is they apparently have somewhere between four and five million artifacts that are in the basement and the basement leaks. Now, I, I agree with you. My guess is that you could probably there, – there's ways to deal with leaky basements, you would think, short of – okay, if you've got a leaky basement in your house, you don't just suddenly decide, I'm going to sell my house just because of that. You, I think you first explore the idea of can we fix the, the leaky basement. But again, to me, this doesn't – that the more fundamental, the larger question that we have to come to grips with in this community is – how important are cultural institutions, and and can we prior do we do we have to prioritize if we're going to say as a county, okay, the museum is important. All right, can can you do it all? Um, on our text line, I have somebody who says it's definitely worth keeping. It is far more important than the art museum or the domes. All right, that that's fair. But that's if we reach a point where we say, all right, we we don't have an unlimited amount of money. We're not going to approve, you know, sales tax increases. And even if we did, we couldn't generate enough money to pay for all this. All right, what what is what is the priority? Is the museum more important than the domes? Is it more important than the art museum? Uh, another text: put the funds towards pressing needs, not to take people away from Wisconsin. But you have world class museums in Chicago that are over an hour. They're only an hour away and are easy to visit. Another email, a text. Build the new museum, uh, make the old one the new jail. Let's talk to Alex in Port Washington. Alex, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. I thank you for taking my call. Sure. I guess the way I look at this, if this was run by a promoter of for-profit business, and if he's having trouble in the basement storing his stuff, he would rent a storage space within a <laughs> mile or so of the facility. Right. These displays stay up for months at a time. It's such a silly reason for spending a hundred million dollars. And I think it's easier to I think these administrators just throw out these numbers like they're popcorn. They're going to going to go to the markets and have a popcorn. You know, mm-hmm. and they talk about a hundred million dollars like it's nothing. And the facility the way it is, I think it would be fine if you need to fix the roof. Yeah, if the roof's leaking is different, but if you got some leaks in the basement, what's the big deal? Right, just kind of 
find, find some other space, rent the space, and then shuttle trucks back and forth. <laughs> you know, when when you're going to change something out, okay, we want to bring these artifacts over. Just go find them. Well, I mean, you wonder. I mean, I'll be curious. You wonder if the study considered things like that. Betsy writes, uh, surely the French are laughing over glasses of Chardonnay at the idea that a museum built in the 1960s is old. Nonsense. The Milwaukee Public Museum is a lovely facility. Fix it up and let generations to come enjoy the same facility. Now, I, I, I understand. At the same time, as I started this. Not everything old is historic, and I, you know, there are, for example, the domes are a classic example of this. In nineteen, you know, they were built in nineteen sixties technology, and the 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 type of construction techniques that you used for that type of facility has a certain lifespan, has a certain usable lifespan, and I do believe that we're kind of at the end of that lifespan, and so. Now you have to face the, the more fundamental choice, which is how important are the domes if we understand that they've you know outlived their usefulness from a construction perspective. Has the museum gotten to that point? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Josh in Milwaukee. Josh, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? I, I'm just wondering why if we have got $100 million lying around that we're able to stick into this, what about, and I know everybody's talking about Well, in fairness, too, I'm, I'm sure this isn't going to all be public money. I have no doubt that the museum oh, okay. will also raise, you know, I, so, I mean, they're not going to pay for it. It's not Correct. going to be all public money, but there's going to be a chunk of public money. Correct. Yep, let's just assume that, let's say half of it is public money. Let's say it's $50 million is public money that they believe that they've got to put aside for this. Why are we just talking about museums? If, if it's true that we have that money, and maybe it's coming from a person, and I did grow up in Milwaukee, uh, i I, although I appreciate a museum, I, I think you know we, we're, we have far more pressing issues yeah. <laughs> um, in our area. First off, with certain areas that need help, right. um, you know the downtown, the old mall district that's down there. But really, I mean, you, you talk about like the lead pipes that they said we don't have money to, to yep. go out and fix and stuff. That's fifty million dollars that I can. Yeah. There are a lot of good things to do with versus, you know, repairing the museum right now. Well, no, that and that's right. That's I mean, thanks for calling. See, Josh, and that that's that that is the key question that, that is out there. When you look at all all the resources and you look at some of the, the commitments, some of the things that we are spending money on. And if we talked about this for another segment, I know I would take three or four calls from people saying, all right, maybe we can take some of the stupid money. What? How, how much is Tom Barrett? Spending on the 2.1 mile trolley line. Now, I acknowledge that some of that, the majority of that right now, short term, at least some of it, is federal money. Oh, yes, that, that's $120 million or whatever. And then you can say, okay, well, let's see if the question, I understand city, county, but let's put it aside. Big picture, uh, you know, would you rather have a 2.1 mile streetcar line that runs from the bus depot to the Lower East Side, or would you rather. You know, have a new museum. Those are these are all fundamental questions that I think are are out there that nobody seems to be asking. Just saying, it's ten fifty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's ten fifty eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Pop culture corner coming up in about a half hour. A lot of stuff before that. The Journal Sentinel has recently been doing a series of stories on people caught up in the pension hell that is the Milwaukee County Pension Department. Um, again. It's just when whenever it involves Milwaukee County, it's just 
it is just screwed up. I, you, the Milwaukee County Board is a clown car act. Milwaukee County government in general is clown car act. And the only question is how many people are going to jump out of that little car? It's one thing after another. Now, we know about the pension office. We know about the pension scandal. Apparently now there's been tens of people, maybe more than that, that have been either overpaid or underpaid for years. And that even when they identify them, they continue with the overpayments or underpayments. You know, the latest story is a guy who, you know, a year ago, makes his announcement that he's going to retire. He gets the letter from the pension department saying, okay, you're you're eligible to retire. Now is when you can do it. This is how much it's going to be. Then a couple of weeks before he's ready to retire, they say, never mind. We, we just figured this out, and we, were, we, we missed this. You actually have to work another two years. <laughs> Look, how can, how can it be this screwed up? This is just not something that responsible entities do. And the answer to it, how can it be so screwed up, is because it comes back to the same thing. Three words. It, four words, I guess. It is Milwaukee County. If you want to use a contraction, it's Milwaukee County. If it is Milwaukee County, it is screwed up. Anything Milwaukee County government touches is guaranteed to be messed up. It is just a series of entities, political, bureaucratic, whatever, that just is impossible, cannot get things right. So this is something that liberals, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, everybody should agree. It is time for Milwaukee County to get out of the pension business, turn it over to the state, because God knows you shouldn't be messing around with people's pensions, number one. And number two, you shouldn't allow the clown car act that is Milwaukee County government to have anything to do with people's pensions. 1108, Jeff Wagner. So, Doug Russell, free agency starts at 3 o'clock today. So, yes, sir. A lot of reports are out there. So, Perry stays with the Packers. Five year deal. Uh, had a great season last year. It took him about four years to get his NFL legs underneath him and, right. and turn himself into a legitimate NFL linebacker. But he's finally starting to look like a first rounder, albeit from, you know, 2012. Do they have the numbers of what they're going to pay him? Uh, I haven't seen okay. numbers yet. No. Okay. He won't make anywhere near as much as Matthews, though. Oh, no, no, no. Right, right. Okay, and uh, I just, J.C. Treader going to Cleveland. Yes. Okay, here's, why would you, I mean, it, I'm just kind of curious. Is, is it just purely the dough? Because why Why would you, if you were a professional athlete, you would, mm-hmm. if, if I were a professional athlete, which I'm not, I mean, I understand making money is important, but you would also think success is important. I mean, Cleveland is just a hot mess. It's always going to be mm-hmm. a hot mess. Is this just... It's just purely the money, and we don't care if the team sucks. We're just going to take the dough? Probably. It's also a guaranteed start, I would imagine, for him. He doesn't have to compete with Corey Lindsley for the center position in Green Bay. Um, I've wondered this about a guy like Joe Thomas, Brookfield Central's own right. Wisconsin Badgers' own uh, Joe Thomas. He makes the Pro Bowl every year, but he's playing for the worst team in maybe NFL history, right. or the worst right. franchise in NFL history. Um, so, yes. Another, but at least he was drafted by Cleveland. so He could have left. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause I mean was, a guy like Joe Schobert, who was drafted out of uh, you know Waukesha West product. He was drafted as a linebacker last year by Cleveland. I just felt badly for him. Right, right. Um, isn't that where the pack? Isn't that where Casey Hayward went, the Packers quarterback? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it goes to Cleveland and just kind of. I mean, I guess you get that big paycheck, or at least you get the signing bonus, and then you just kind of just die. <laughs> their own fans nicknamed their stadium the Factory of Sadness. Yeah. So that <laughs> right, it's not going to change. Yeah. So it's not going to change. So you're essentially just kind of saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take the paycheck and then just just don't, don't, don't mind losing, I guess. Well, there's no pressure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm Cleveland. 
Well, no, I guess I, I'm just I, I'm, I'm legitimately curious because I mean I I understand you want to it's especially in a game like football you've got a limited amount of time mm-hmm. you probably if you're a guy like Treader you've got one probably realistically one chance to sign a deal like this so you want as much money as you possibly can and I understand that but unless there were no other teams that were bidding for you and Cleveland you got to figure probably has to overpay to get people to go to Cleveland and they got the most money to spend as well they they're well right. underneath the salary cap right cuz they don't have anybody that's any good so nobody's worth <laughs> anything i mean yeah well they have Joe Thomas he's pretty well, good well okay right so one guy or, you okay. got one guy you, you you got one guy huh um, I mean, the same thing I thought was true with Jacksonville. He had De- Devon House, who, of course, went there. Now they've cut him. So, And he could come back to the Packers. If the Packers are going to lose Micah High, they're certainly going to need another defensive back. Um, uh, what about the uh, what about Lang? Is he going to stay? You know, I don't know. I think that they want to keep T.J. Lang because, uh, you know, he's 29. That's not that old for an offensive lineman. Certainly he could have three or four more right. good years left. So that's a solid contract right there. Um, so I think they want to keep T.J. Lang. You don't want to blow up your entire offensive line. But then again, look at what they did last year with Sitton. Sitton yeah. I mean, and that they, they didn't miss a beat with Lane Taylor in there. Right, right. I got the impression they thought Sitton was, they they were afraid he was going to be kind of a cancer in the locker room. They were afraid of that. I don't get the idea that they feel the same way about Lang, though. I think everybody likes Lang. Well, I, Josh, let's, let's be clear. Josh Sitton was not a cancer in the locker room. He just said things that management didn't like. So he was a cancer maybe in the front office okay. to them, <laughs> right. but not to his teammates. Right, right, right. There's a, I think there's a difference there. Well, but, but, they, but they obviously made the decision that they thought it was going to get worse. It's, it's, but, I mean, he's another one. He went to the Chicago Bears and signed a big contract, and he plays for, uh, again, one say, of the worst teams. What yeah. team was that again? Yeah, yeah, that's, okay, there you go. Right, that's, uh, that's it. Um, and I guess the other free agent priority, uh, the tight end Jared Cook, probably bring him back. I think they know. I know they want to bring him back. He was right. uh, he was a big contributor for them last year. Had a little injury issue earlier in the season with his back, but uh, you know, really late in the season for that playoff run. And when you know Aaron said we're going to run the table, Jared Cook was a big part of that. Is this the year that Ted Thompson goes out and maybe tries to make a splash and sign sign a? top-notch cornerback or something like that, or a top-notch rushing I don't know linebacker. why he changed now, but then again, I mean, he's nobody saw Julius Peppers coming to Green Bay. Uh, Charles Woodson came to Green Bay because literally at the time, nobody else wanted him, which looks foolish now. Um, so he's surprised us occasionally, but he's not somebody who's, number one, going to telegraph what he's going to do. I mean, the Julius Peppers thing came way out of left field, um, so we didn't know about that, and what he's done has kept them competitive, and I don't think he wants to necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's hard for what do they say a leopard to change his spots. So right. I don't know if I don't know if Ted's going to do that. He's not really an aggressive guy in free agency, but every once in a while he'll pull off a surprise. So for the people who are for folks who are following football, the, the free agency period starts with three o'clock today our time. Three o'clock our and, time. And so my guess is you'll have a couple big free agent signings, and then that kind of sets the market maybe for some other folks over the next week or two? I think it depends on position. You know, Tony Romo's certainly going to set a mark. He'll probably be the highest paid free agent this offseason, and then they'll go to Houston or Denver. Um, so you, you want to keep your eyes on that. There will be, the, the last couple of days, the last 48 hours, 
teams have been able to negotiate with players, and they can come to terms, but they just can't sign anything until right. three o'clock. So these stories, like J.C. Treader or Nick Perry, th- those stories are going to leak out between now and then, and, and certainly past three o'clock as well. But uh, somebody will set the bar, uh, you know, and, and it's it's set at every different position as well. You know, you set the bar at cornerback, you set the bar at quarterback, you set the bar at offensive line, and then they kind of go from there. I have been uh, one of the things I, I read the Chicago Tribune every day, and of course they've been, you know, the Bears, of course, are the Cleveland Browns, just a hot mess, and they're <laughs> apparently ready to dump just millions and millions of dollars on this corner quarterback from Tampa Bay, who's started Glenn. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just going to pay him just a ton of money for a guy who's really mm-hmm. just uh, a career backup and they're going to pay him a bunch of money do they not learn any lessons from say the brock osweilers of the world maybe it'll work i don't know i mean every team that is desperate for a quarterback goes out and spends too much money for a quarterback i mean that's what the seattle seahawks did with matt flynn and then they wound up drafting uh, russell right. wilson in that that same off season so uh, when the Bears got uh, a Cutler, they they needed a quarterback at the time, or so they thought. Um, it, 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 quarterbacks, if you got a great one, like the Packers have been blessed to have one right. for the last twenty plus years, then you just kind of sit back and laugh at every other team. But if you're like the Houston Texans, I mean, they went out and overspent for Matt Schaub, right. for example, and he was, you know, someone who couldn't throw a ball downfield, but he had a great wide receiver, in Andre Johnson. And he made him look a lot better for right. a couple of years until he turned into a pick-six machine. That's the same thing that happened with Osweiler, another career backup. So right. draft and develop might be the best way to go, but everybody's after Jimmy Garoppolo, too, from the New England Patriots. I don't know if he's going to pan out or not. Nobody does. Right. Well, and there's such pressure to win now, especially for teams that haven't won, I would imagine. Sure. It's kind of like the, the fan base says, okay, we... You know, the, the, you, you got to you, you. We don't want another three-year rebuilding project. And the coaches nowadays, I guess, there's so many of them are on short leashes as well that it's like you got you mm-hmm. got to figure out a way to win. Yeah, I mean, if you're a team like the San Francisco 49ers, for example, they don't have a quarterback, but they've also had three coaches in what 27 months or something like that. They fired Jim Harbaugh because he wasn't a nice guy. Right. <laughs> and then they you know, ran through Jim Tomsula, and then they ran through Chip Kelly, so they couldn't necessarily settle on a guy. Now they think they have one in uh, Kyle Shanahan, but he doesn't have a quarterback right now, so he's got to go out and find one. Right. So if you were predicting over the next 24 hours the Packers make big moves in free agency, you're probably not. Probably not. Got it. it it's, not, it's not what Ted Thompson does. And if, they, if he does make a splash, it's not going to be early on. He's going to let the market set itself, and right. then he'll pick up a value. Maybe not find, right, maybe not find that first guy, right. but then... Okay, this is the market, and you go out and get somebody else. Yep. Eddie Lacy come back? I think so. I think they need him. I know that they're going to move Ty Montgomery to uh, running back, um, and Don Jackson's also been tendered, so he's going to at least get a shot in training camp. But they didn't like what they saw with Don Jackson last year, so I don't know what they're going to see this year that they do like. I think they need Eddie Lacy because he's a big, every-down, bruising back, and he's a nice change-of-pace guy from Ty Montgomery as well if they're committed to making him a running back, which it seems they are. Okay, well, we'll see. I, 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 all, all I know is if they start if, if they start next season, depending on Eddie Lacy, who has been undisciplined at best, unable to keep it, it, unable to keep his weight under control, essentially eating himself out of the league and constantly getting hurt. If they start with him as trying to plan that he's going to be the reliable back that's going to get him through the season. Um, somebody in Green Bay is smoking something, and I want to share some of it. He did have a good start to the season before he got hurt. Well, but, yeah. But it goes <laughs> yeah. back to your point about the fact that he got hurt. Right. But I, he, that's what I'm saying. I mean, but but he was still 
I don't care what they said. He he looked. He was heavy. He's been heavy, mm-hmm. um, and just hasn't been reliable. So I mean, well, it's, it's not like they, they they knew that going in though. No, I mean, but I understand. That's why I'm saying back in Alabama, right? But it, but that's why I'm saying insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And if you go in thinking, hey, you know, this guy is suddenly going to come in and he's going to make weight and he's going to go through the whole year not hurt, maybe he will. I'm just saying, if he hasn't seen any indication that he's done that in the last three or four years, is that what you're going to count on? I don't think that they should necessarily count on Eddie Lacy himself taking him to the, to the Super Bowl, but he can be a part of it if he comes in, if he's healthy and in shape, and certainly they're going to kick, uh, going to kick the tires on him. But also, I don't know what the market will bear for Eddie Lacy. Right. He might be one of those guys who's hanging around for a while because right. he's not going to get right. the, you can get the him cheap that he wants. Be- because everybody else has these same concerns that we were just Absolutely. voicing, so they're not going to throw a bunch of money. So you can get him cheap, sure. Yeah. Okay, well... Continue to we'll, we'll keep you we'll <laughs> keep plugged in right because th- this is it is the start of free agency it's eleven nineteen Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ thanks Doug eleven twenty one Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ number of people are asking what about Micah Hyde Doug says uh, the word is that Micah Hyde is going to be leaving the Packers that there's a couple teams that uh, appear to be willing to go out and pay more. Uh, to take Micah Hyde away, it, you know it, it. It is it is tough. We were talking both on the air and off the air. I mean, we, and it, I appreciate it's a short it's a short career. You you have a handful of opportunities to cash in, and so maybe if okay, if if you have a decent team that's willing to pay you four million dollars, what think just think about these numbers or the Cleveland Browns that are willing to pay you five million. You know, is it really given what taxes are nowadays? Is it really worth is it really worth that extra money to be miserable in a losing situation? But, you know, if, if the difference is Cleveland's going to pay you $8 million and the other teams are going to pay you $4 million, well, then at some point in time, maybe you just say, I'm, I'm going to take the dough and I, I, I owe that to my family and I recognize this is where my career is going to be, but I'm at the end of the day, I'm going to have that money. And I guess I, I do, in fact, understand that. I get it. All right. Yesterday, yesterday something happened. And for most people, most people, you did not notice anything. Now, if you were part of the mainstream media, this was the big deal. But as a general rule, and this is no surprise, almost nothing happened. Yesterday was the day without women. And this was to be a follow-up on the, well, the, the Women's March on Washington after the Donald Trump inauguration, and the, the organizers were saying to women, uh, we want you to stay home. We, we don't want you to go into work. Stay home. We don't want you to shop unless you are going to shop at women-owned businesses, which, of course, creates that, that sort of controversy, which is if you're telling women to stay home and you're a female business owner, are you supposed to stay home or are you supposed to go in and work so that other women who are staying home can come in and shop at your at your business? I don't know. It just gets all so confusing. So anyhow, yesterday was the International Day Without Women. And as a general rule, as far as protests go, it, it turned out to be a complete and total nothing burger. Now, there were some organized protests that were there. Um, typically, in some of the larger cities, I mean, these were organized. They bust people in. But a- as a general rule, um, what we found out yesterday is it should be no surprise to anybody. First of all, that the, the vast majority of women out there recognize that they are not 
they're not in a position where they're going to take off work. They have responsibilities. Um, they're not going to go out and protest just for the sake of, of protest. And, and I, I read a piece yesterday, which really, I think, to me, summarizes this. Are there women... Are there underprivileged women out there? Absolutely. Are, but there's also underprivileged men out there. This idea that we're going to break these things down into segments and, okay, this this is going to be when we show what a day without women is like, or this is what we're going to do when we show a day without Latinos. Okay, what about what would happen if there's a day without white men? I mean, you know, seriously, seriously, where do we end up doing this? And the day without women, well, um, some people showed up. In Madison, there were about a hundred some kids that walked off the walked out of school to walk to the Capitol and protest. But but as a general rule, as protests go, this did not have the staying power. I think that a lot of the organizers hoped. Am I surprised? Don't think so. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. I've been watching with interest over the last few days the reaction of many of the usual suspects to the House proposal to repeal and replace Obamacare. And I have to tell you, I understand that the devil is always in the details, but one of the biggest, whenever you are trying to deal with an entitlement program, and I think you can go back into the history of this country, once we have had announced a massive entitlement program, it is almost impossible to go back and to unring the, the bell because people get used to the entitlement program and then the headlines, oh, this is terrible. If all of a sudden, if we, if we go back to the way things were four or five years ago, this person's going to lose their insurance or that person's going to lose their insurance or, or whatever. So it is very, very difficult. I've been taking a look at the Republican pros, proposal and I, I acknowledge it's probably not, it's definitely not going to be in the final form. And we'll talk about this a great deal more tomorrow. But but here's here's the bottom line. For everybody that has been complaining about the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, over the course of the last several years, the reality is this is the opportunity to do something. And if the Republicans in Congress, who for years and years have been talking about repealing and replacing, don't do something soon, that opportunity is going to be lost forever. Do I agree with everything that is in the, the proposal that's going through the House? No. And again, we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail tomorrow. But at the same time, I think it's a good starting point. And so for all the people that are out there, both on the right, who are complaining it doesn't go far enough, and on the left, who are just absolutely hair on fire, this is going to be terrible. You know, it's going to set millions of Americans back? Where are they going to get insurance? How are they going to handle their health issues? I mean, I think what we need to acknowledge is if you're going to do something to change and fix and alter the flaws in Obamacare, you're going to have one chance, and that chance is right now. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. We do this, this section Every day, every Thursday at 1135, it's a segment I call Pop Culture Corner. We brought it over from the afternoon show. Um, it's a time when we, we stop talking about the heavy lifting and we stop worrying about the Affordable Care Act. And we just have a little bit of fun on a now a Thursday morning. Um, sometimes we talk about movies. That is, of course, a passion of mine. Television from time to time. Um, food. It just depends. Sports. It just kind of depends on what is going on in the world. Uh, today, actually... When I was trying to think of what we were going to discuss today, I, I went back to conversation I had last week when my friend Bob Abish, 
who is the vice president of entertainment at Summerfest, came in when we were announcing the start of the free ride, which is going to be very cool this year. You know, we're doing a 1968 Cutlass convertible, and we're going to be giving it away on the last day of Summerfest. And we're partnering with Summerfest in the 50th anniversary. And, and off the air, Babish and I were talking about different concerts and things and Summerfest memories and stuff like that. And I, I, so I've been actually sort of thinking about that for the last week or so. In addition, on, on top of that, for some reason, I don't exactly know why, I've been in a somewhat melancholy mood lately, and I've just been sort of like one of these things where you're kind of taking stock of your life and that sort of thing. And I, I saw this, I, I saw an article somewhere, don't actually even remember where, that that asked about the songs that are the soundtrack of your life. But let me, and this is the way to think about it. Let us assume that there is a waiting room outside of heaven and that you are sitting in that waiting room waiting for you know your chance to go in and explain to St. Peter why you deserve to be going in there. You know, you're in the point where you're getting ready to you know, justify your life to the extent that you, you have to do that. And so it's the waiting room. You're in heaven's waiting room. And I don't know how long the wait is going to be, but, you know, because it is heaven's waiting room, there there is a soundtrack that's playing. You know, it's kind of like you sit in, in the dentist's office and there's, you know, you're waiting, there's music in the background or whatever. Okay, you are, you're in heaven's waiting room, and there's sort of a soundtrack that's playing. And it's the soundtrack of your life. It's the songs of your life. And I thought, hmm. So, uh, again, given as if I don't have enough to think about, once I saw that, I I was kind of pondering what would be the songs that are the soundtrack of my life. Now, the way this story did is it it gave you, it lets you essentially make a mixtape. It lets you pick, like, a half dozen songs that would be the soundtrack of your life. The only the only caveat was the only restriction was that you can't you, you can't double up on artists. So you can't say, okay, it's gonna be all Bruce Springsteen. You you have to have multiple ones. Well also because we have time constraints so I have actually been spending more time than I want to admit thinking about that. Um, because we have time constraints, I can't let you, at least on for our purposes on the radio, I, I can't let you, you know, have six songs. But for Pop Culture Corner this week you are in heaven's waiting room. I want to know, and let's say, let's assume that you're not going to have to wait too long. It's going to be one of those deals where they're going to call you in right away, okay? One way or the other, they're going to call you in right away. So you get two songs that are the soundtrack of your life. Those two songs that are playing, and I, and I don't know, you can define what that means, you know, I, whether it's your favorite songs or whether it's songs that are meaningful to you or whatever. But you get two songs and they have to be by different artists, that are the soundtrack of your life. All right. Our Acunet Mortgage talk and text line is 414-799-1620. So you can participate either way. You can text me or you can call in. Love to have the phone calls. In addition, in just a couple minutes, we are going to be, as we always do, live streaming this. So go to facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ. We have turned the lights on in the studio, and you will be able to watch this and participate there as well. Pop Culture Corner this morning, the songs that are the soundtrack of your life, 414-799-1620. That is the number. As I always tell people, I encourage you to call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. 
That's Pop Culture Corner this morning. Two songs, the soundtrack of your life. They're playing in the background as you're waiting to meet St. Peter. (laughs) All right, this will be fun. Stick around. We're back with your songs in just a minute and my songs as well. I've limited myself to two as also. It's 1140, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Squalls out on the ghost train. 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner. Songs that are the soundtrack of your life. You're sitting in Heaven's Waiting Room. What's playing in the background while you're waiting to see St. Peter? That's uh, one of mine. Jimmy, one of my, if I'm only going to limit myself to two, you get two. Only rule is it has to be different artists. Um, That's one of mine. Trying to Reason with the Hurricane Season by Jimmy Buffett. We are live streaming at Facebook. uh, So you go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can watch us do this. Our text line. And the call line, 414-799-1620. Let's see. Lori says, Heart of Glass by Blondie and Light My Fire by the Doors. Um, Michael says, I'm 34 years old. This is easy. Journeys Don't Stop Believing. Tom Petty's Mary Jane's Last Dance. Let's talk to Sue in West Bend. Sue, you're first. Good morning. Hi. Hi. These, these songs, well, I have three songs, but I'm only going to give you, you, two. you only get two. That's the rule. These are going to be, these are going to be played at my funeral. Okay. So that's a prelude. <laughs> okay. Okay, the first one is It's My Life. By Sinatra? Bon oh, by who? Bon Jovi. Oh, bon Jovi. Okay, got it. Okay. Okay, and the second one, this is a this is a follow-up. Take Me Higher by Creed. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there you go. Okay, work, works for me. Thanks for calling. See, but that's it. It's kind of like, well, I, I guess the funeral thing could be too, but that's a little bit too morbid. So I'm, I'm thinking about you're in the waiting room. Okay, you're just kind of killing time waiting for St. Peter to get around. And you, you only got two songs because he's going to see you quick. Diane in West Dallas. Diane, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I guess my first one would be The Bitch is Back from Elton John. <laughs> okay. That's, that's the soundtrack of your life. <laughs> okay. Yeah, pretty much. All right. <laughs> At least according to some people. My other favorite is Pride and Joy by... Um, Stevie Ray Okay, all right, both 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 good songs. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the number. Again, we're live streaming on Facebook as well. John in Milwaukee. John, good morning. I'm going to say uh, Havana Daydreaming by Buffett. One of my favorite songs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't miss that. And uh, There Goes My Life by Kenny Chesney. Oh, can't go wrong with that either. Let's see. Uh, on Facebook Live, Sean writes, Dueling Banjos. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'm not sure necessarily about that. Let's see. Ken says, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That would be a good one on our text line. Uh, let's see. Kathy in Gresham says, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. And Is That All There Is by Peggy Lee. See, okay, there we've... Uh, We've gotten that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Tom in Watertown. Tom, good morning. Hi there, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, Leonard Cohen, Dance Me to the End of Love, live. And then uh, Hair of the Dog, Nazareth. Okay. Both. Anything with Leonard Cohen is, you know, anything with Leonard Cohen ends up on there. Thanks for calling. I mean, I guess the, uh, what would be, Hallelujah is the one that probably a lot of people would would hear playing there. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Gordy in Milwaukee. Gordy, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Okay, soundtrack of your life, you get two songs. I've got two. I've got Blood, Sweat, and Tears, a song called And When I Die. Uh Uh-huh. And Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Welcome back, my friends. Oh, that's a good one. 
That's a that is a good one for the soundtrack. Absolutely works for me. Uh, Brian writes, "Come Monday," another one of the Jimmy Buffett tunes. Can't go wrong with Buffett on that. Again, and you're only limited to one particular artist. Buffett's got a lot of stuff, but for me, it would be trying to reason with the hurricane season. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Uh, let's see. Sam writes, "Fast Car" by Tracy Chaplin. <laughs> Mike writes, uh, "Hotel California." By the Eagles. There you go. Let's talk to Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my song is I Get Knocked Down and I Get Up Again by Chumbawamba. <laughs> okay. And, and again, the, <laughs> right, again, kind of the, the, the perfect thing if you're getting ready to go in and meet St. Peter, huh? Yeah, there it It's been a rough run. Uh, th- thanks for the call. Work. It works for me. Um, on Facebook Live, Lori writes, "Beautiful day by U two and Let It Be by the Beatles." Yeah, I, I was actually trying to think um, if I would have put a if you would have given me six songs. There's probably been a Beatles song that would have uh, gotten into that. Uh, Ted writes, "My Way." By Frank Sinatra. Can't go wrong with that. Um, the text line, let's see, uh, September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, 414-799-1620. That is the number. Let's talk to Betty in Neshota. Hi, Betty. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'd like the one by Helen Reddy, also, peace, also Peaceful Gear. Okay. And I'm having it put on my tombstone. There's a segment in there. No one bending over my shoulder. Nobody whispering in my ear. It's all so peaceful here. Ah, uh, 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 as opposed to Helen Reddy's "I Am Woman, Let Me Hear Me Roar." As opposed oh, to that one. This women's stuff is right up to here. <laughs> okay. What? Well, there you. All right. There. There you go. That works. Let's see. On our Facebook Live, um, Randy. Uh, writes Memories by Elvis Presley. Um, Angela writes We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Okay, well, you got that work in as well. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Songs that are the soundtrack of your life. Let's talk to uh, Russ in Brookfield. Russ, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, the song has to be the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. <coughs> Sympathy for the devil. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, that, is, that is it. That's my life, and I want them to play it at my funeral. <laughs> that, that's it. So when you're up there waiting for St. Peter at the pearly gates, you're, that's what you're hearing. That's what you're hearing. All yeah, right. That, that and I can't get no satisfaction. Well, that was going to be <laughs> that, that was that see that was going to be the other one, um, the other Stones one. But see, again, the way the rules work is you can only get you you can't double up on the artists. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Uh, let's talk to Cal in Partyville. Cal, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I think my favorite is "In My Life" by the Beatles, and the second soundtrack that makes me. Draws me back so many years is Pinball Wizard by Oh the Who, by the Who. Yeah, absolutely. Right out. Of, right. Out of, <clears throat> well, that that would be, you know, that would be a that would be a pretty good one too. Pinball Wizard. Let's see. Uh, TJ writes uh, on our text line, "My Way" by Sinatra. Fair, fair fanfare for the common man by Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, you've got Christina says you've got a friend by James Taylor. Huh. Um, let's see, another one on the text line. Have I told you lately that I love you by Van Morrison? Huh. Very, very good. All, all those are, see, this is it. This is one of the things that you sit there and you kind of think about. You figure, all right, where, where exactly is this going to go? 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Mark and Franklin. Mark, good morning. Good morning. The soundtrack of your life. What are your songs? 
Armageddon silver tightrope. It's an oldie. <laughs> right. And fight the good fight by Triumph. Oh, fight the good fight. Oh, all right. See, that's a that's that's a good one. Bill Bill on Facebook writes. See, it's worth going to the Facebook to check out the Facebook Live thing just because some of the, the side comments that people put in. Bill writes, another one bites the dust by Queen. I'm not getting in. <laughs> um, let's see. Mark writes, Elton John, funeral for a friend. I heard that the other day. Um, Sammy Hager, where eagles fly. Absolutely. That kind of works for me. Jim in Greenfield. Jim, soundtrack of your life is what? Hey, Jeff. Hi, How Jim. you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, this is the Kahuna. Oh, your old friend. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, soundtrack of your life, my friend. Well, the first one is the way you look tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, by whoever, and the second one I actually got to see the guy do it live last year at Summerfest backstage. Paul McCartney, "Live and Let Die." Live and let die. Hmm. Well, Jim, there's no doubt you're getting in. So, the, the, and those are two good. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, pal. You know, if you're up in that waiting room, so enjoy those two tunes because because you're getting in. That's Jim uh, uh, Jim Kalusny, one of our former producers here. Let's talk to uh, let's see Barb in Milwaukee. Barb, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. How are you? I'm well, um, thank in, you. In Agata de Vida, Iron <laughs> Butterfly. <laughs> I haven't heard oh, that yeah. song in 40 years. <laughs> in the God of Vida. Okay. <laughs> the, the drum solos are awesome. Okay. <laughs> and um, takes me way back, and that's my only one I have. Okay. In the God. Well, by, uh, yes, I, I remember in, in the God of Vida back. By gosh, that's, that's, that's probably going way, way back. Um, Brian in Kenosha. Brian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Well, we're going to start with Beginnings by Chicago. Okay. Got that rousing chorus, only the beginning. And okay. we're going to finish it up. This is the funeral song, Into the Mystic by Van, Van Morrison. Morrison. Uh, Into the Mystic would probably, if, if you gave me ten songs, it would be in the ten li- top ten list. No question about it. it. It's perfect. Could it, be better. Um, right. Um, Landslide would be one by you know by by Fleetwood Mac by Stevie Nicks. Um, trying to reason with the hurricane season. When we come back after the break, I'll I'll play one of the other ones. Um, we're we're kind of out of time here. Wish we had some more time. Um, let's see, Dave on text line: Eagles, peaceful, easy feeling. Beatles, the end. Huh. Um, let's see. Uh, on our text line, Tom writes: Two cents worth by Kansas. Get over it, the Eagles. Get over it. Yeah. That's <laughs> Lucifer. I don't think that's necessarily his name, but Lucifer writes Bad to the Bone and Running with the Devil by Van Halen. All right, this is a fun thing. Think about it during the course of the afternoon. You can still participate on our Facebook Live, see what other people are saying. The soundtrack to your life. Stick around. We'll find out what Scafidi and Billstat have on their minds, and I'll play I'll play my other. If you only limited to me to two, the other one right when we come back. It's 1154, Jeff Wagner. 57, Jeff Wacker, 620 WTMJ. That's part of the soundtrack of my life. It's a Guy Clark song, Jerry Jeff Walker, L.A. Freeway. For some reason, it speaks to me. Don't know why. Don't know what that says. But it speaks to me. Eric Bilstedt, you get one song. You're in Heaven's Waiting Room. It's playing soundtrack of your life. Walking on Sunshine. How about that, huh? I hope I'm not sitting next to you. <laughs> <laughs> my God. That, is, my. that is upbeat. Yes. Yeah, it's, 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 Happy come day. on. Steve Scafidi. Got to be Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. Born to Run. Yeah, I was thinking some Springsteen stuff might make it. Colleen Boland, do you want to play? Soundtrack of your life. You're sitting in Heaven's Waiting Room. It's the song that's playing in the background while you're waiting to see St. Peter. (laughs) 
I got nothing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, 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 I look, Colleen. I have no doubt you're not going to be in the waiting room very long. So the rest of us, you know, the, the rest of us, I, I'm doing a mixtape. That's what I'm saying. What do you guys got coming up on the show? If I if I told you we were going to talk about Neanderthals. And orangutans and the gas tax, would you say we're crazy? <laughs> but that's three of our topics today on Scafidi and Bill Stead. I would say you are covering the waterfront, <laughs> as it were. It is an eclectic and diverse sort of thing. We're all over the place. Neanderthals. Okay. All right. And and you guys have, uh, there's a Brewers baseball game today, that's too. Right. So it's an yeah, abbreviated so show. A little bit, little bit shorter. So two hours of Scafidi and Bill Stead. And we're welcoming, welcoming back our great producer, Scott Warris, mm-hmm. who is turning from Detroit and the great attorney by UWM. I told Told him it's the highest compliment I can play to an pay to announcer. I was driving around Monday night. I was listening to the last five minutes of his call, and I actually I got where I was going. Was in, with my friend, and we're getting ready to go to a restaurant. I sat in the parking lot and listened to the, the last couple mm-hmm. minutes of the game. And I, I, matter of fact, I sent Scott a text telling him what a good job I thought he did, and I hope he remembers us little people once he's you know covering <laughs> the Super Bowl. Maybe right. he can get me tickets. All right, I am out of time. Stick around. Scafidi and Bill Stat coming up, <clears throat> an abbreviated show. I remember those days when you get off a little bit early. Um, Brewers baseball a little bit later. I am out of time. We do this at 8.30 tomorrow, so I will talk to you then. Have a great Thursday. Stay warm. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1159.